Volume 2, Chapter 16 of the Heidenmauer, or the Benedictines, a legend of the Rhine, by James Fedimore Cooper. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Joel Kendrick. The Heidenmauer, by James Fedimore Cooper, Volume 2, Chapter 16. But thou art clay, and canst but comprehend that which was clay, and such thou shalt behold. Cain. The return of the pilgrims was a happy moment to all who dwelt in Durkheim. Many prayers had been offered in their behalf during the long absence, and divers vague reports of their progress and success had been eagerly swallowed by their friends and townsmen. When, however, the burgomaster and his companions were actually seen entering the gates, the good citizens ran to and fro in troubled delight, and the greetings, especially among the gentler sex, were mingled with many tears. Emic and his followers did not appear, having taken a private path to the castle of Hartenburg. The simple and still Catholic, though wavering, burghers had felt many doubts concerning the fruits of their bold policy, while the expiatory penance was pending. Their town was in the midst of a region that is perhaps more pregnant with wild legends even at this hour than any other of equal extent in Europe, and it can be easily conceived that under such circumstances the imaginations of a people who had been, as it were, nurtured in superstition would not be likely to slumber. In effect, numberless startling rumors were rife in the town, the valley, and on the plain. Some spoke of fiery crosses gleaming at night above the walls of the fallen abbey. Others whispered of midnight chants and specter-like processions that had been heard or seen among the ruined towers, while one peasant, in particular, asseverated that he had held discourse with the spirit of Father Johann. These tales found credulous auditors, or not, according to the capacity of the listener, and to these may be added another, that was accompanied by such circumstances of confirmation as are apt momentarily to affect the minds of those even who are little wont to lend attention to any incidents of miraculous nature. A peasant in crossing the chase by a retired path was said to have encountered Burkhold clad in his dress of green, wearing the hunting horn and cap, and girded with the usual couteau de chasse, or, in fine, much as he was first presented to the reader in our early pages. The youth was described to have been hot on the chase of a roebuck and flushed with exercise. From time to time he was said to wind his horn. The hounds were near, obedient as usual to his call, and indeed the vision was described as partaking of most of the usual accompaniments of the daily exercise of the forester. Had the tale ended here, it might have passed off among the thousand other similar wonderful sights that were then related in that wonder-loving country and been forgotten. But it was accompanied with positive circumstances that addressed themselves in a manner not to be disputed to the senses. The two favorite hounds of the forester had been missing for some weeks, and from time to time cries resembling theirs were unequivocally heard ringing among the arches of the forest and filling the echoes of the mountains. This extraordinary confirmation of the tale of the boor occurred the week preceding the return of the pilgrims. The latter found their townsmen under a strong excitement from this cause, for that very day nearly half the population of Durkheim had been into the pass of the heart, which was described in the opening chapter of this work, and with their own ears had heard the deep baying of the hounds. It was only after the first felicitations of the return were over and during the night which followed that the pilgrims learned this unusual circumstance. It reached Emic himself, however, ere his foot crossed the threshold of his castle. On the following day, Durkheim presented a picture of pleased but troubled excitement. Their population was happy in the return of their chosen and best. 
but troubled with the marvelous incident of the dogs and by the wild rumors that accompanied it, rumors which thickened every hour by corroborating details from different sources. Early that very morning, a new occurrence helped to increase the excitement. From the moment that the abbey was destroyed, not an individual had dared to enter its tottering walls. Two peasants of the Jägerthal, incited by cupidity, had indeed secretly made the attempt, but they returned with a report of strange sights and of fearful groans existing within the consecrated pile. The rumor of this failure, together with a lingering respect for altars that had been so long reverenced, effectually secured the spot against all similar expeditions. The alarm spread to the Heidenmauer, for, by a confusion of incidents that is far from unusual in popular rumors, an account of Ilse concerning the passage of the armed band through the cedars on the night of the assault, coupled with the general distrust that was attached to the place, had been so perverted and embellished as effectually to leave the ancient camp to its solitude. Some said that even the spirits of the pagans had been aroused by the sacrilege from the sleep of the centuries, and others argued that, as the hermit was known to have perished in the conflagration, it was a spot accursed. The secret of the true name and of the history of the anchorite was now generally known, and men so blended the late events with former offenses as to create a theory to satisfy their own longings for the marvelous. Though, as is usual in most of these cases of supernatural agency, it might not have stood the test of a severe logical and philosophical investigation. During the night which succeeded the return of the pilgrims, there had been a grave consultation among the civic authorities on the subject of all these extraordinary tales and spectacles. The alarm had reached an inconvenient point, and the best manner of quieting it was now gravely debated. There was not a burgher present at the discussion who felt himself free from the general uneasiness. But men, and especially men in authority, ordinarily choose to affect a confidence they are frequently far from feeling. In this spirit, then, was the matter discussed and decided. We shall refer to the succeeding events for the explanation. Just as the sun began to shed his warmth into the valley, the people of Durkheim, with few exceptions, collected without the gate which the Count of Hartenburg had so unceremoniously forced. Here they were marshaled by citizens appointed to that duty in the usual order of a religious procession. In front went the pilgrims, to whom an especial virtue was attached, in consequence with their recent journey. Then came the parochial clergy with the ordinary emblems of Catholic worship. The burghers succeeded, and last of all followed the women and children without much attention to order. When all were duly arranged, the crowd proceeded, accompanied by a chant of the choristers and taking the direction of Limburg. This is a short pilgrimage, Brother Dietrich, said the burgomaster, who, in his quality of a Christian of peculiar savor, was still associated with the smith. And little likely to weary the limbs, still had the town been as active and true as we who have visited the mountains, this little affair of a few barking hounds and some midnight moans in the abbey ruins would have been ready settled to our hands. But a town without its head is like a man without his reason. You count on an easy deliverance then, Honorable Heinrich, from this outcry of devils and unbidden guests. For mine own particular exercises, I will declare that, though sufficiently footsore with what hath already been done, I could wish the journey were longer and the enemy more human. Go to, Smith, thou art not to believe above half of what thou hast heard. The readiness to give faith to idle rumors forms a chief distinction between the vagrant and the householder, the man of weakness and the man of wisdom. Were it decent between a magistrate and an artisan, I would hold thee some hazard of coin now that this affair turns out very different from what thou expectest. And I do not account thee, Dietrich, an everyday swallower of lies. If your worship would but hint what a fair-dealing man ought in truth to believe. 
Why, look you, Smith, here is all that I expect from the inquiry, though we hunt and exercise for a month. It will be found that there is no pack of hounds at all, loose or in leash, but at most a dog or two that may be beset or not, as the case shall prove. Next, thou wilt see that this tale of Father Johann chasing young Burkhold while the boy hunts a roebuck is altogether an invention since the monk was the last man to give loose to such a scampering, noisy device. As for the forester, my life on it, his appearance too will end in footmarks. Or perhaps some other modest sign that he desires the masses refused by the Benedictines. For I know not the youth that would be less likely needlessly to disturb a neighborhood with his own particular concerns than Burkhold Hintermeyer, living or dead. A general start and a common murmur among his companions caused Heinrich to terminate his explanations. The head of the procession had reached the gorge, and as it was about to turn into the valley, the trampling of many hoofs became audible. Feelings so highly wrought were easily excited to a painful degree, and the common expectation for the moment seemed to be some supernatural exhibition. A whirlwind of dust swept round the point of the hill, and Count Emic, with a train of well-mounted followers, appeared from its cloud. It was so common to meet religious processions of this nature that the Count would not have manifested surprise had he been ignorant of the motive which induced the population of Durkheim to quit its walls. But, already apprised of their intentions, he hastily dismounted and approached the burgomaster, cap in hand. "'Thou goest to exercise, worshipful Emic,' he said, "'and love for my town hath quickened our steps, that no honor or attention should be wanting to those I love.'" Hast a place among thy pilgrims for a poor baron and his friends? The offer was gladly accepted, courage being quickened by every appearance of succor. Emic, though equipped as a cavalier, was therefore willingly received among his fellow travelers. The delay caused by this interruption ended. The procession, or rather the throng, for eagerness and anxiety and curiosity had nearly broken all order, proceeded towards the ascent of the mountain. The ruins of Limburg, then recent and still blackened with smoke, were found in the deep silence of utter desertion. To judge from appearances, not a footstep had trodden them since the moment when the band of the assailants had last poured through the gates after the tumultuous triumph which had been so chilled by the awful catastrophe of the falling roofs. If that party had drawn near the abbey in expectation of a sudden and furious assault, this slowly advanced with a troubled apprehension of witnessing some fearful manifestation of superhuman power. Both were disappointed. The unresisted success of the assailants is known, and the procession now proceeded with the same impunity, though many a voice faltered in the chant as they entered the spoiled and desolate church. Nothing, however, occurred to justify their alarm. Encouraged by this pacific tranquility, and desirous of giving proofs of their personal superiority to vulgar terrors, the Count and Heinrich commanded the throng to remain in the great aisle of the church while they proceeded together into the choir. They found the usual evidences of a fierce conflagration at every step, but nothing to create surprise until they arrived at the moldering altar. Himmel! exclaimed the burgomaster, hastily pulling back his noble friend by the cloak. Your foot was about to do disreverence to the bones of a Christian, my lord count. For Christian Father Johann was, beyond all question, though one more given to damnation than to charity. Emic recoiled, for he saw in truth that with heedless step, he had been near crushing these revolting remnants of mortality. Here died a wild enthusiast, he said, moving the skeleton with the point of his sheathed sword. And here he is still, nobly born Groff. This settles the question of the monk chasing young Burkhold through the forest and among the cedars of the Heidenmauer, and it would be well to show these remains to the people. The hint was improved, and the throng was summoned to bear witness that the bones of Johann still lay on the precise spot in which he died. 
While the curious and the timid were whispering their opinions of this discovery, the two leaders descended to the crypt. This portion of the edifice had suffered least by the fire. Protected by the superior pavement and constructed altogether of stone, it had received no very material injury, but that which had been inflicted by the sledges of the invaders. Fragments of the tombs lay scattered on every side, and here and there a wreath of smoke had left its mark upon the wall. But Emix saw with regret that he owed the demolition of the altar and of the other memorials of his race entirely to his own precipitation. I will cause the bones of my fathers to be interned elsewhere, he said musingly. This is no sepulcher for an honored stock. Oomph, they have long incredibly decayed where they lie, Herr Emic, and it would have been well had they been left beneath the cover of their ancient marbles. But our artisans showed unusual agility in this part of their toil, in honor, no doubt, of an illustrious house. None of my race shall sleep within walls accursed by Benedictines. Hark! What movement is that above, good Heinrich? The townspeople have doubtless fallen upon the bones of the hermit and of young Burkhold. Shall we go up, Lord Count, and see that fitting reverence be paid their remains? The forester has claims upon us all, and as for Odo von Ritterstein, his crime would be deemed all the lighter in these days. Moreover, he was betrothed to Ulrich in their youth. Heinrich, thy wife, was very fair. She had many suitors. I cry your mercy, noble Count. I never heard but of poor Odo and myself. The former was put out of the question by his own madness, and as for the latter, he is such as heaven was pleased to make him. An indifferent lover and husband, if you will, but a man of some credit and substance among his equals. The Count did not care to dispute the possession of these qualities with his friend, and they left the crypt with a common desire to pay proper respect to the remains of poor Burkhold. To their mutual surprise, the church was found deserted. By the clamor of voices without, however, it was easy to perceive that some extraordinary incident had drawn away the members of the procession in a body. Curious to have so violent an interruption of the proceedings explained, the two chiefs, for Heinrich was still entitled to be so styled, hastened down the great aisle, picking their way among fallen fragments towards the great door. Near the latter, they were again shocked by the spectacle of the charred skeleton of Johann, which seemingly had been dropped under the impulse of some sudden and great confusion. Himmel, muttered the burgomaster while he hurried after his leader. They have deserted the bones of the Benedictine. Can it be, Lord Emic, that some fiery miracle, after all our unbelief, hath wrought this fear? Emic made no reply, but issued into the court with the air of an offended master. The first glimpse, however, that he caught of the group which now thronged the ruined walls of the minor buildings, whence there was a view of the surrounding country and particularly of parts of the adjacent hill of the Heidenmauer, convinced him that the present was no moment to exhibit displeasure. Climbing up a piece of fallen stonework, he found himself on a fragment of wall surrounded by fifty silent, wondering countenances, among whom he recognized several of his own most trusty followers. What meaneth this disrespect of the service, and so sudden an abandonment of the remains of the monk? demanded the baron, vainly looking about him in the hope of finding some quicker explanation by means of his own eyes. Hath not my lord the count seen and heard? muttered the nearest vassal. What, knave? I have seen not but pallid and frightened fools, nor heard more than beating hearts. Wilt thou explain this, varlet? For though something of a rogue thou at least art no coward, Emic addressed himself to Gottlieb. It may not be so easy of explanation as is thought, Lord Count, returned the cowherd gravely. The people have come hither with this speed inasmuch as the cries of the supernatural dogs have been heard, and some say the person of poor Burkhold hath been seen. The Count smiled contemptuously, though he knew the speaker sufficiently well to be surprised at the concern which was very unequivocally painted in his face. Thou wert attached to my forester. 
Lord Emic, we were friends, if one of so humble station may use the word when speaking of a youth that served so near the person of our master. Like his, my own family once knew better days, and we often met in the chase, which I was wont to cross, coming or going to the pastures. I loved poor Burkhold, nobly-born count, and still love his memory. I believe thou hast better stuff in thee than some idle and silly deeds would given reason to believe. I have remembered thy good will on various occasions, and especially thy cleverness in making the signals on the night these walls were overturned, and thou wilt find thyself named to the employment left vacant by my late forester's unhappy end. Gottlob endeavored to thank his master, but he was too much troubled by real grief for the loss of his friend to find consolation in his own preferment. My services are my lord counts, he answered. But though ready to do as commanded, I could well wish that Burkhold was here to do that for me, which— Listen! Hark! cried a hundred voices. Emic started and bent forward and fixed attention. The day was clear and cloudless, and the air of the hills pure as a genial breeze and a bright sun could bestow. Favored by such circumstances and amid a silence that was breathing and eloquent, there were borne across the valley the well-known cries of hounds on the scent. In that region and age, none dared hunt, and indeed none possessed the means of hunting but the feudal lord. Since the late events, his chases had been unentered with this view, and the death of Burkhold, who had a special privileges in this respect, had left them without another who might dare to imitate his habits. This is at least bold, said Emic, when the cries had passed away. Hath any other near dogs of that noble breed? We never heard of other. None would dare use them, were the answers. I know those throats. They are of a certainty the favorite hounds of my poor forester. Have not the dogs escaped the leash to play their gambols at will among the deer? In that case, Lord Count, would tried hounds remain abroad for weeks? answered Gottlob. It is now a senite since these cries have been first heard, and yet no one has seen the dogs from that hour to this, unless, as some one of your hinds says, they have been in sooth been seen running madly on the scent. Tis said, mine Herr Graf, put in another, that Burkholt himself hath been viewed in their company, his garments floating in the wind, while he flew along, keeping even pace with the dogs, and he had been swift of foot as they. With Father Johann at his heels, cowl undone, and robes streaming like a pennon, by way of religious amusement, added the Count, laughing, dost not see, dotard, that the crackling bones of thy monk are still in the ruin? The hind was daunted by his master's manner, but nothing convinced. There then succeeded a long and expecting silence, for this little by-play near the Count had not in the least affected the solemn attention of the mass. At length the throats of these mysterious dogs again opened, and the cries indeed appeared like those of hounds rushing from beneath the cover of woods into the open air. In a few moments they were repeated, and beyond all dispute they were now upon the open heath that surrounded the Tufelstein. The crisis grew alarming for the local superstitions of such a place in the commencement of the 16th century. Even Emic wavered. Though he had a vague perception of the inconsistency of living dogs being hunted by a dead forester, still there were so many means of getting over this immaterial difficulty, when the greater point of the supernatural chase was admitted that he found little relief in the objection. Descending from the wall, he was in the act of beckoning the priest and Heinrich to his side when a general shout arose among the male spectators while the women rushed in a body around Ulrich, who was kneeling with Lakshin and Meta before the great crucifix of the ancient court of the convent. In a twinkling of an eye, Emic reoccupied his place on the wall, which shook with the impetus of his heavy rush. "'What meaneth this disrespectful tumult?' angrily demanded the baron. 
The hounds, Meinherr Graf, the hounds, answered fifty breathless peasants. Explain this outcry, Gottlob. My lord Count, we have seen the dogs leaping past yonder margin of the hill, here, just in a line with the spot where the Tufelstein lies. I know the dear animals well, Herr Emick, and believe me, they are truly the old favorites of Burkhold. And Burkhold, continued one or two of the more decided lovers of the marvelous. We saw the late forester, great Emick, bounding after the dogs, and he had wings. The matter grew serious, and the Count slowly descended to the court, determined to bring the affair to some speedy explanation. End of Volume 2, Chapter 16 Read by Joel Kendrick